Hello, homemakers, and welcome to the Art of Home podcast, where we are exploring how homemakers cultivate a place to belong. I'm your host, Allison Weeks. I'm a wife. I am a mom to four grown kids, grandmother to one baby boy due to arrive this fall, and I have been practicing the art of home for 30 years. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. And if this is your first time listening, we are so glad you found us. Our goal is to provide encouragement and inspiration for you to practice homemaking with joy, creativity, and confidence that this work matters. Your faithful practice in both the mundane and the miraculous moments is cultivating a place for you and your people to thrive. And as 19th century minister and writer J.R. Miller says in his book, Homemaking, Homes are the springs among the hills, whose many streamlets uniting form like great rivers, society, the community, the nation, the church. If the springs are pure, the rivers are clear like crystal. If they are foul, the rivers are defiled. A curse upon homes sends a poisoning blight everywhere. A blessing sends healing and new life into every channel. Oh, how many of us desire for our homes to be a blessing so abundant that it pours out healing and life into our neighborhoods, our cities, and our nations. That is what I am praying for you. Keep practicing your art of making this kind of home. We just wrapped up this season's deep dive series on the art of words in the home, and today I am bringing you a homemaker portrait of my friend, Roberta Hemphill. She has been married to Jim for 40 years. They raised three kids and recently retired to the Texas Hill Country, though she worked outside of the home a bit in the beginning of their marriage. After their second child was born, the Lord called her to be home full-time. Two of Roberta's children are on the autism spectrum, and we talk about her experience trying to understand their condition in the 90s when very little was known about it. And we discuss how she learned to adapt to this challenging aspect of their home and family life. We also talk about how she turned her passion for photos and memory keeping into a side business and creative outlet while her children were growing up. This is another great seasoned homemaker portrait full of wisdom and insight. Make sure you stick around until the end. I have a very special announcement about our next season. So whether you're hanging out at the pool or weeding the garden, I know you will enjoy Roberta's story of home. I'm here with my friend Roberta Hemphill, and we're going to get Roberta's story of home. She is a seasoned homemaker. Uh, But before we go all the way back to the beginning, Roberta, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are today? Well, I am a stay-at-home retired mom (laughs) of adult kids, (laughs) and I have been living in the Hill Country for the last four or five years, and I absolutely love it here. Moved Mm -hmm. here from the Gulf Coast, and I do not miss the humidity, and I I just love everything about the Hill Country. Mm -hmm. I have three... Well, of course, I have a husband, Jim, and he's retired as well. And so we're we're still kind of adjusting to being home most of the time together. But it's it's good, and we love it. And I have three adult children. Two of them live in this area. Another one lives in another part of Texas. Two boys, one girl. Um, they're 28, 
31 and 33. Very so, good. You were quick with yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I had to think about that. But um, anyway, I, I the boys are fairly close, so I see one of them real frequently, the other one somewhat frequently. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's about it. I did teach English for eight years, oh, okay. high school English. Oh. Uh, I stopped teaching when my middle child was 18 months old. So mm-hmm. I've been home for a long time and I've done various things, tutoring, yeah. part, some part-time yeah. classes at college and so forth. But I've just really right. mainly been a mom yeah. for years and years. That's awesome. Well, that's what we're here to talk about. So yeah. let's go back to the beginning. When did you first become a homemaker? Well, that was in the early 90s when Ryan was 18 months old. And I just decided it was too overwhelming to teach because my daughter got the chicken pox and then Ryan got the chicken I got the chicken pox oh. and then Ryan got the chicken pox and I was just going nuts trying to find babysitters so I could go back to teaching and mm-hmm. I remember thinking this is just not worth worth it. I need yeah. to be home with these kids. And it just made life simpler, really, in a lot of ways to be home with them. Mm-hmm. And they were at two different babysitters. It was just really hard. It was mm-hmm. a real hard time. So um, I, you know, I've been home with kids. After that, I was home with kids mm-hmm. there the entire time they grew up. Yeah. So How long have you been married? 40 years. 40 years. Yes. Oh, congratulations. Yes. Thank you. That's very exciting. Yeah. Okay. So you were married. So when you when you became Mrs. Hemphill, um, it, was that the first time you had had a home of your own? Had you lived on your own before that? Uh, well, m- I met my husband in college. Okay. So we actually got married the la- the my last year of college. Mm-hmm. He was finished and. Uh, he, we started. He started working on his master's degree. So we lived in married student housing, and then he got a job in Lake Jackson, south of Houston. So we mm-hmm. bought our first home there, and okay. have had several homes since then. Okay, so you're in this married housing because I assume before that you were doing like the dorm living oh, thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now you have your first little nest yes. as a married woman. Did you yes. have any skills? Any homemaking skills? You know, it's interesting. My sister was a home ec teacher. Oh, and really? So she's five years older than I, I am. And so she could sew. She loved to cook. She loved to bake. And I loved to talk and socialize. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, my mom did not, she, she was a teacher and she just never learned to sew. Mm-hmm. She was an okay cook, but she wasn't real. She didn't teach us all that. My sister was just really interested in it, and I just never was. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of like my mom. I still, I don't have a sewing machine. I just don't do any of that. So, but I I don't know. I kind of have different lanes of things that I love to do. I love to scrapbook. Mm-hmm. I So that's kind of my creative outlet, I guess. But um, so back to skills. Uh, no, I do remember when I first got married loving planning meals, getting out all the cookbooks, mm-hmm. grocery shopping. And we both gained weight after we got married because <laughs> I was just cooking these huge meals with all these sides. And it, yeah. was, it was kind of fun. But I do remember um, really enjoying cooking. And then I look back at all the phases of my life and 
I loved cooking, I think, until my boys came along. (laughs) They were both very resistant eaters. Really? And I became a short order cook. I, I would, I remember making you know, one liked meat, one, my daughter liked vegetables, but the one that liked meat didn't like vegetables and they loved carbohydrates. I was, I was making three different meals and it really robbed me of the joy I had of cooking. And mm. I remember deciding I just didn't like to cook anymore. And I still don't enjoy it like I did when I first got married, but I, I like what, I like the finished product. I don't, I don't know if I You don't it. love the process as much anymore? Not really. Okay. Not really. That's I got a little burnout. Well, I, I can understand that. Yeah. yeah. Having to do multiple meals for yeah. different people, that that's no fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think what I enjoy doing the most um, is now at this stage of life, I love to set a table. Oh, yeah. And I do like doing a really nice meal. I like having people over. Mm-hmm. I like entertaining. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the social yeah, side well, sure. of me. Yeah. And I just love setting a table with a theme or mm-hmm. for the holidays. That brings me a lot of joy. And my mother-in-law, uh, my mom liked to set a table. And she liked getting out her china. She loved dishes. And I, I really, mm-hmm. I've really taken on all those things from her. Um, and then my mother-in-law loved to set a table, and she was so careful about it, and so uh, she just did such a beautiful job. And I find myself thinking about my mom and my mother-in-law; they're both gone. Yeah. And I, I, there's some, there's a joy. I feel such a connection yeah. to them when I do that. So, and I think I like that from the time I was, you know, young. Uh-huh. I think my generation, we. You know, we had wedding china and mm-hmm. got all that out, and I still enjoy doing that. Did you inherit any of your mom's china? I did. Yeah, I have really too much china, but I, I try to use it all. I really try to use. Yeah. Guilty. <laughs> My hand is raised. Yes, I am of the I have too much china club. I, do. I, I can't get it's. It, it was our mothers, and it was mm-hmm. so dear to them, and so it it. I enjoy it. I, yeah. get, I get it out. I try to make sure that I use yes. the china once a year, mm-hmm. all the china I have. So that's that's been good. But when we moved to the Hill Country, my mother-in-law had uh, china, the spode with the deer and all oh, the, the brown. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And she came to this house once, uh-huh. and she she stood right where you're sitting, and she said, you need my china. Oh, oh my goodness. And so I <laughs> I have it and I use it a lot and it's yeah. really special. And she used it all the time, every special meal. So mm-hmm. that's, I like that legacy. I love stuff. that she sat here and because I'm looking out your backyard and there's, it's very wooded and there's trees every, and we have a lot of deer. I talk about the deer a lot on the show because they're, they're my nemesis. I love to see them, but I don't love that they eat all my plants. I know, I know. <laughs> That's true. But that she sat here and and saw that yeah. that would be such a good fit for your environment. That's yeah. really sweet. Yeah. Well, what about what was hard for you? Was there something when you first started out, start, started keeping your own home? Was there something that was particularly difficult that you had a real steep learning curve for? Well, I think mine is probably just my personality, but I I did. I struggle a lot with perfectionism. Mm. I did as a child. I kind of think. 
I probably had some OCD tendencies. Mm-hmm. And when I got married, I just, I wanted the house perfectly clean all the time. I, I, I remember taking a toothbrush <laughs> when we lived in married student housing and I, when I cleaned, I would clean the steps. They had little treads on the stairs going up. We were in a townhouse. And I remember, I remember the guy coming back when we moved out, and he said, we have never had such a clean t- <laughs> <laughs> And I, I've had to let go of a lot of that. And I do think my children helped me with that because I, I, I would just drive myself crazy oh, yeah. trying to be really clean, keeping everything perfectly clean. And um, I... I honestly think my brain chemistry probably corrected a little bit of <laughs> children because I'm still I like things to be real clean, but I don't I'm not as obsessive about yeah. it as but that that's a struggle for me. It still is a little bit just trying to be too perfect. Mm-hmm. And I really did that as a new mom. Mm. I really when I had my daughter, I just I was trying to do everything perfectly. And I remember my sister came to help when my daughter was born and to visit and help. And mm-hmm. she said, well, can I fold your laundry? And I said, no, because I'll just have to refold everything. That's how particular I was. And this was the um, home ec teacher who wanted to fold your laundry. Yes. <laughs> she probably would have done a pretty good job. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> but she still teases me about that. That's really... But I've, uh-huh. I've really let go and I... You know, I, I Jim does a lot of things around mm-hmm. the house. I found myself after he retired thinking, "Okay, don't unload the dishwasher. I can do it better." And then mm-hmm. I thought, Roberta, don't, yeah, let him do some things. He's not going to do. Nobody's going to do everything the way you do. That's probably the thing I have to remind myself of mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, there's not a lot of joy in life if you're just obsessing over everything. So exactly, exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about balance. You alluded to having a, some a few part-time jobs here and there. Um, so what kind of work did you do outside the home? Because when you made that decision, when you, everybody had the chicken pox, yeah. <laughs> you're like, this is not working. Yeah. Okay, no, we have to do something different. <laughs> um, so then that was when you officially became you know, a homemaker full-time, yes. staying home with your children. But you did some other things outside the home? Um, over the years, I, I taught, I did gifted and talented testing with kindergartners at one point. Mm-hmm. I did, I taught um, at the college. I helped people get ready for the t- tests that they had to take oh, for their entrance test. Yeah, yeah, like SAT prep and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, then I did my favorite, one of my very favorite things, uh, I taught expats for about five years. And at one point I had 13 different students from nine different countries. And so I, what were, were you teaching them English? Yes. Oh. And just a lot of, it just depended on the student. Most of them knew English, mm-hmm. but they needed polishing and or pronunciation. Okay. Or they didn't know how to pump gas. I went and oh. pumped gas with some, I mean, you know, I just did, a lot of it was cultural yeah. uh, stuff. It, they would just be a fan. So um, my, the company would hire me through another company mm-hmm. to what teach them. Interesting so job. It was really fun. I enjoyed that a lot. And I'm I made sh- a lot of really special connections with people. I feel like I could travel and go here, there, everywhere. Yeah. To, and I have friends in other countries. So that was really rewarding. 
That's so cool. I enjoyed that. So how old were your kids when you were doing these this work? Were well, they a little bit older? Well, that was after the kids were gone. Okay. Um, when, they, when I stopped teaching, I was a creative memories consultant for mm-hmm. about 15 years and okay. really enjoyed that because uh-huh. it was kind of my teaching. That was when we would go and do home parties and we would teach people yeah. how to do their pictures. And that's real important to me. Mm-hmm. In fact, I am currently doing my 31-year-old's baby book. That's how behind I got oh. on, my, <laughs> on my pictures. It's I'm never having, too late, folks. I <laughs> am having a ball. I am enjoying it so much. I just sit there and smile while I'm doing it. It's just so oh. fulfilling. I did. I was always real good about keeping up with pictures until yeah. Ryan was 18. It was really when I started staying mm-hmm. home. It's interesting. That's when I kind of stopped. And then I did projects over the years. I've done a lot of albums for my kids, but um, I have about a 10-year gap. And I, all the pictures are in boxes. They're ready to put in albums. And I started this year, my goal was to do one year every month. Uh-huh. And I have done it. I've done almost five years worth of pictures. Good for you. Just this year. So if you don't know what Creative Memories is, because I think they're still around, but it's not like yeah. it was in the 90s and in the early 2000s that they were like a big yeah. a big deal to do. It's a scrapbooking company. Mm-hmm. Um, you would do home parties. You would be like a representative, like you would work for them, correct? Right. And right. Mm-hmm. You would represent and show their product and, and sell, sell their product, the product. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and they would train you, yes. I'm sure, in yes. how to use their product. and. Yes. Um, and so now we have chat books and Shutterf- well, and Shutterfly create, and things yes, like that. And I, they have digital, I do digital scrapbooking now. Okay. But I, I have about those 10 years worth of pictures are all developed and I have a ton of scrapbooking supplies and that's what I just thought I'm going to do these and okay. give them to my kids. They all have all their pictures, their stories. And I think going back 30 years later is actually has been kind of good because I've really simplified. Mm. I throw away a lot of pictures. I used to put in every picture. Uh Every single one. I've gotten much more um, discerning. Well, you know, back before digital, everything was digital, it was you treasured every single photo because there was a whole process just to get that piece of paper, that picture. And it it felt like so wasteful to throw it away. Exactly. So I I understand where you're coming from. Well, and I think... um, I hope that my, I don't think the boys, uh, they enjoy kind of looking at things, mm-hmm. looking at albums, but my daughter uh, is expecting twins later this year. Congratulations. So, yes, I'm excited about that. And um, she's pretty good. She does digital, but I'm really hoping if I could give any advice to to young moms, I would say once a month, even if you once a month, take a picture of your child and write a little journaling about mm-hmm. what they're doing at that stage of their life. And then, and a lot of people are doing that now, but they're putting it on Instagram or Facebook. And I'm wondering, is, is your child going to have that if exactly. it's all in your phone? So I know my daughter's going to be really overwhelmed with twins and it's hard to keep up with photos, but, um, she manages to put quite a bit on Instagram. So I think she can probably do something once yeah, a month. Yeah. And then print it. So you do yours digitally now. The the stuff that you're doing like from today on. It's all digital. It's all digital. Yes. Mm-hmm. And are you doing that through creative memories or is that through something I else? I actually yeah, I actually am. It's well okay. there's a 
it's kind of a spinoff company called Forever, uh-huh. and they have software okay. um, that I love because it's kind of scrapbooking and it kind of it has the same that feel. Creative, <clears throat> yes, it mm-hmm. kind of feeds that creative side of me, and I can journal, and it's so much easier though because you don't have the mess. Oh and yeah, just it, it was such a production when I was going to scrapbook to oh, get yeah. all the things out and yes. glue everywhere and exactly. you know exactly. stamps and all right. that stuff. But I am going to use that stuff up, and I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get hand the kids their albums and say you can have them now and you can store them at your house. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so, great. Anyway. Do you when you um do you do yearly? You do them by the year now now. Uh, it's yes. like an annual, kind yes. of like an annual scrapbook? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. I'm just curious how, because yeah. some people do it by like an event or a vacation or, right. you know. Well, I am doing right now, um, I've kind of just, we have a cabin that we go to in the summer uh-huh. and it's really a special place for our whole family. So I decided, because I get a little bit um, frustrated when the kids aren't really, when nobody really looks at the albums. Mm -hmm. So I think at the cabin, people are always going, when did I, what was the year we did this? Or what did we, so I've decided to make just a cabin album. And those pictures I take, I'm just going to leave there. Mm -hmm. I have a Christmas album. I put every Christmas, I put a few pictures, put that on the coffee table. It's amazing. They'll pick them up and look at them if it's a theme. So, but other than that, yeah, I Mm -hmm. just kind of go by the year. Okay, cool. Well, that's so interesting. Um, How did you find, because you said you struggle with perfectionism, how did that work into the priorities that you set? And then how, because I like to talk about balance and I like to talk about how did you manage to find your rhythm as a homemaker, you know, working through the challenges of Mm -hmm. being a perfectionist and then all the demands that come with being a busy mom with three kids. And, you know, what were some of the things that you did to set your priorities and and what did God teach you through that? Well, um, I would say that balance was something I really struggled with. I tried to, because I'm social, mm-hmm. that's always been the kind of person I am. So I wanted to be in junior service league. And, mm. I, and I look back and I think I was going out and volunteering probably a little much. Mm. But then um, maybe sometimes it was a little bit of an escape because I was home with the kids all day so I could get out and be with other women. So yeah. I don't think it was all bad. But I I do look back and I think when I was doing creative memories and in junior service league and raising three kids, I do think I I remember thinking at the time I'm juggling I'm spinning too many plates. Right. I need to I need to stop doing something. So I had to kind of learn that the hard way. And um balance was always an issue for me. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that I I was that was a real gift for me or something mm-hmm. that I handled really mm-hmm. beautifully because I didn't. Yeah. But I think as I got older, it just got a little easier. I um I ha- my boys are both on the autism spectrum. So that was the hardest thing about being a mom. Hands down. Wow. It was really hard. Let, let's talk about that because I didn't know that about and I, my next question was what was a particular challenge that yeah. you faced? Yeah. Well, uh, when I taught school, you know, I, I'm the youngest of four children. I feel like we were just kind of a normal mm-hmm. family. Nobody really had any struggles or issues that mm-hmm. were daily, you know. Sure. And um, 
when I was a teacher, I was teaching high school, and I look back now on some of the students I had that I now know probably were on the autism spectrum. Mm. Of course, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know when I'll get to that. But um, I remember just thinking, you know, why is that kid acting weird? Or, you know, I just wasn't understanding at all and, and probably pretty judgmental. And I'll tell you, God brought me to my knees Mm. in that respect. Mm. Because Ryan, the middle one, when he was about four or five, he just was really contrary, very difficult, argued about everything. And it was, he was a really tough kid to raise. And he was darling, just precious and kind of sneaky and funny. But he was just, difficult. It's hard to even describe. I really. Yeah. I we took him. That was back when people didn't really know that much about now it's so common. Yeah. And terribly common, yeah. unfortunately. And but at the time, I remember we took him to several specialists. We took him to Texas Children's. We did all these things trying to cuz even my pediatrician would say there there were some issues with um balance and toe walking. There were some things that were kind of red flags to my pediatrician. And he'd say, you know, something's something's just a little off and I, I can't really pinpoint it. So I took him to all these places and no one could identify what it was. That was about a three or four year period. Wow. And finally, we took him to a doctor. He was actually a psychiatrist, really good guy, worked with a lot of kids. And he said, I think Ryan has Asperger's syndrome. And I said, I, I'd never heard of it. Mm. I, but at the same time, it was a relief to have a name for it. Yeah. And then Jim and I immediately went to an autism conference, sat in a room full of all these parents. The stories were just, it was incredible. I remember thinking, okay, I now know what I'm dealing with. And mm-hmm. so, but... It was real, school was just super hard because every year we would, we'd have to tell the teachers what to expect and how to handle things. And right. it was just really overwhelming. Jace, my youngest, when he was three, um, he still wasn't talking. I mean, he would say words, but he wasn't really putting sentences together. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, he's the third child. He's just not talking because everybody talks for him. And that's what, you know, grandmothers would say and everything. And then he went to school at three. They were giving him speech therapy and so forth. And then he started having some issues. And I still remember my daughter's kindergarten teacher. She had, she's a neat lady and she had taught all our kids. And I remember I was telling her something about Ryan and she had Jace in her class that year. And she put her hand on my arm and she said, Roberta, you're worried about Ryan. You need to be worried about Jace. Mm. And I remember I felt like somebody had punched me in the gut. I thought, I can't do this with another child. So, but, you know, I did. And I was on my knees for years. It was hard. It was really hard. The hardest thing, I think, was school and dealing with teachers and trying to find a place for them because they were smart boys, but they needed a very specific kind of teaching. So, and, and, you know, I do think that diet and, you know, I look back and they were such resistant eaters and I just, 
I, I had so much going on. I just didn't really work on the mm-hmm. diet aspect of things. If I could go back and do anything over, it would be, you know, I, I think, I don't think it would have fixed things, but I think it would have helped the sure. mood issues and that sort of thing. And I relied on medication mm-hmm. from doctors because I was so desperate to do yeah. anything to help them to focus at school to, you know, and so forth. So we went down the whole, you know, Ritalin, Adderall, yeah. all that. And um, it, it, I remember when Jace was in ninth grade, I said to my husband, I would rather have a happy ditch digger than a child who does well in school. And then he would come home and he was miserable. And he's such a sweet, to this day, he's so, so sweet, so happy, probably my happiest child. But when he was on medication, yeah, like it a different... completely changed his personality. Yeah. So that's another thing I would do differently. I, you know, I wish I could go back and mm-hmm. and do some things differently. But you know, you learn as you go. And yeah. um, I try to be here for other moms because I, when I hear anybody say they have a child on the autism spectrum, I, I completely understand. It's a it's a hard world. Yeah. So were you able to find some community to gather around you? To help you with that, or was are you were you at that stage? It was that time period where it just was so foreign. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, I I really didn't. I had a couple of good friends that mm-hmm. listened to me cry, and you know it was hard because even family members, you know, I and I I'd always been really close to my in laws, my mother in law in particular. I was so close to her, but she just never really understood, and it was kind of critical, and that was really hard for me mm. to. Because I didn't, I wanted her to understand. Yeah. But I, I, she's in heaven now. I think she understands. Now. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure she <laughs> so, does. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing about that. Yeah, it was hard. But you know, both boys. I remember thinking when they were little that they would probably both be in prison. <laughs> they've never gone to. They've never gone to prison. They they both have jobs. Okay. Chase is an Amazon driver, and Ryan works for a tech company, and he lives by himself. And he's, you know, he's. Doing really well. They're both doing really well. I'm really proud of them. Do you have a word of advice or wisdom or insight that you would share with a mom, maybe a young mom who has a child on the spectrum? Um, you know, the problem with autism is it's such a huge spectrum. Yeah. And they're all so different. And, right. and you, you, even my boys are total opposites. And they do have some common features that, you know, they both things that they have to deal with, but really they're all so different. I, I guess learn and, um, I, I do think therapy, mm-hmm. therapies help. We, I didn't have that, but I, I do think special schools therapies, mm-hmm. if I could go back and do something over and, and had what's available today, I would take advantage of every school every therapy, yeah. everything that you could possibly take advantage of. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. And I do think having a support system is yeah. important. And, you know, networking. And I do think there's a lot more of that available now. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure there are. There yeah. are lots of And my, op- my daughter is not on the autism spectrum. She's a really good student. And she would just go in her room and, you know, she just, it was kind of chaotic. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of you know, I just couldn't get them to do homework. It was just a hard period. But um, I think she's so much more compassionate and mm-hmm. kind. 
And she was even in school to the kids that didn't, didn't fit in. Yeah. And that's another thing I think that has improved is recognizing that these kids need to be embraced mm-hmm. for even with their differences. And I don't think my boys had that. And it was hard. I remember thinking as a mother, my daughter was, you know, she was excelled at things so parents would want me to be in groups with her, mm-hmm. par- with those parents. But right. then with the boys, I felt a little bit shunned, like, oh, that's, that's that mother of, you know, those boys that don't mm-hmm. fit in as well. And you kind of end up getting blamed for it. And that's that was hard as a parent. But, you know, both, and I have to say about my boys too, they're both Eagle Scouts. Um, my husband was wonderful. Um, he was on every camp out and he helped them. We got them through Eagle Scout and I'm very proud of that. That so is they did quite some amazing an things. achievement. Yeah. Yeah, we did scouts too. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the seasons of homemaking. What was your most difficult transition from one season to another as as a keeper of the home? Was it when you brought the babies home? Was it when they started leaving? Was it something else? Well, there I remember transitions, mm-hmm. and uh, coming home with babies was a huge one. Yeah. And uh, it was probably harder with two kids. The first one, it wasn't as hard. It was, and then, you know, after we had two kids, I remember, we always wanted three. And then after we had two, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't think we can do this again. <laughs> we were overwhelmed. And then, uh, and then, you know, along came Jace. And, um, you know, I just kind of learned to juggle and, mm-hmm. you know, th- but that was a hard transition. And then probably the next transition, I think, for me, the empty nest transition was not too bad because they each left one at a time. You know, I went yes. from three kids to two and then two. And then Jace was around for a long time. My husband was working overseas and he lived with me for part of that time. So I don't really remember like all of a sudden, oh, my mm-hmm. house is empty of kids. There was a little bit of back and forth. So I think you probably focus more on young homemakers. But, you know, I, I will say being home with my husband all day long was a transition to yeah it is and um you know we we're still getting used to that (laughs) (laughs) but but I'm grateful that we're that I have him here all the time but yeah it's some days I'm I I kind of like to be alone sometimes Mm -hmm. but luckily and that's one thing I would advise young women I remember Jim hunted he always went hunting with his dad and his brother. And mm-hmm. when I when the kids were little, I really resented it. I remember thinking, mm. "What? You should not be hunting. You, you know, you need to be. I don't want to be left with the kids. I just dreaded it when he left, and I was all alone with the kids. But you know, now I'm so grateful that I that he per- persevered and kept that hobby up because now. That's his outlet, and he's not. He kind of has his own things. Yeah. And I, we both need a little little break from each other. So sure. when he goes hunting, I really enjoy my alone time. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because it it can be easy to fall into that resentment of thinking I'm here all day long with yeah. these kids, yeah. and what do you you want to go somewhere? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and. And now I, I recognize that he needed an outlet. And I was off going to junior service league and right. this and that. So right. I did things too. So I, I think it's healthy to have mm-hmm. your own mm-hmm. outlets. 
Yeah, I totally agree. What does it look like in the season that you're in right now, homemaking? Because he's here and all the time yeah. with you, and there's no children here anymore. Right. Correct? Right. So how has it changed? What does homemaking look like now? Well, because we're fairly new to this area, we've made friends. We're, you know, we have a small group at church, and we we oftentimes will have the group over here. We've mm-hmm. made some friends different. We're just involved in different activities. And I do find myself, when the calendar's a little free, I'll think, oh, I want to have so-and-so over for dinner. Mm-hmm. And so we've been doing quite a bit of entertaining. That's good. And um, I, I think... I think there's a little more freedom in this stage to do that. You know, yes. you have... Because there's not sort of these built-in demands on your time that you can't quite control when you're when you're still raising children, you know, they right. need you so much more even mm-hmm. when they're even when they're teenagers. Um but once they're gone and that responsibility is no longer there, then you have a little bit more freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. with your time. Um, I we we do a lot of entertaining. Yeah. And we have friends, a lot of friends that moved from the hill country or moved to somewhere else in Texas and we'll have people over. Mm-hmm. We have guests a guest area now. So it's fun to, I really enjoy that. That's, that's, that's been a real blessing. I get up every morning and thank God for where we are and yeah. what we have. And um, just life is pretty good. You know, I will say just to go back to the boys, um, I still have to oversee a lot, you know, finding a new apartment. Well, helping them with both things. of them, uh, get overwhelmed a little bit with Mm -hmm. apartment leases and finding new apartments. But, you know, I really struggle to sometimes my, my husband's a little better about not helping. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of gets after me because he'll say, what if something happens? And I, I tell my boys that too. I'll say, if something happens to me, you're going to have to do this on your own. And that, that worries me. You know, I, I feel like I'm still overseeing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And even though they're quite independent, I worry that they're not going to keep up with something that they need to keep up with. And so that's been a little bit of a struggle. And Mm -hmm. I I do a lot of that. I check The youngest especially, he checks in with me Mm -hmm. every day. And I usually have something I'm reminding him about. But he is living independently. Yes. So yes. that's something, right? Yes, absolutely. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the tasks of homemaking. And this is kind of a rapid fire question okay. and answer time about the tasks of homemaking. So okay. what's a task that you love? Keeping up with my pictures. Yes. <laughs> uh, setting a table. Okay. Good. Having a nice dinner for friends, family. All right. What's one that you hate? Or dislike very much. <laughs> Keeping up with, uh, we did get a dog that sheds horribly, oh. and I am forever cleaning floors. Oh my! Goodness. But I have to say, oh, this is probably my best hint ever. Okay, I got a Bissell Pet Pro, and it vacuums, cleans the floor, and it it really does a good job, and it. It's a lifesaver because cool. I have a lot of floors. Mm-hmm. I hate doing floors, but I like them to be clean. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like to look at dog hair. <laughs> Does anybody like to look at dog hair? No. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. How about your worst homemaking fail? I thought about that too. I, You know, 
sometimes I think just having company over and trying a new recipe, I think I've learned. I've done that recently. (laughs) And my biggest challenge that causes the fail Uh is timing. You know, I think one of the... The biggest challenges for me is when people come over, especially in these homes now that are every everybody's in your kitchen. It's yeah, the open and concept. Everybody, but even before that, I mean, even in every one of our houses, anytime we had a party, oh yeah, everybody ended up talking while I'm trying to concentrate and <laughs> get those last things. So I think what I've learned is it's better. And my mother-in-law did this, and I, I, I don't know. It took me so long to learn this, but it is better to have something made that you can just stick in the oven. And I still sometimes will make things, or it'll there'll be something I need to put together, and or Jim will grill, and I'm doing the vegetables, and the the meat's done, and the vegetables still need 25 more minutes. Yeah. I I had that happen <laughs> just recently, and so then. It was a fa- it really wasn't as good as it could have been. I, I have that a lot and I I don't know. I've got to work on that. I think timing in when you're talking about preparing food, especially when it's it doesn't matter so much if it's just you and your husband and Yeah. <clears throat> but right. if you have people coming over, that's that is a skill. It's a skill it, it is, that yes. you should practice and yep. think about and be um strategic about mm-hmm. and but also just give yourself some grace that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay if it doesn't come out exactly when it's supposed to. Because, yeah, people will congregate in the kitchen. It doesn't yes. matter how small the kitchen is. And I, I am one of those people. That's probably why I like to be alone sometimes because I can really plow through things. When people, I'm real easily distracted. So <laughs> when I'm trying to get a meal together and people are talking to me, that's You want hard. to talk to them. Yeah. Because you, you, you said you were social. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. I understand. All right. So what about a memorable homemaking achievement that you're proud of? Um, you know, I think over the years I've, I have some really special recipes that no matter when I make them or what, you know, goodies and cookies mm-hmm. and things that everybody wants the recipe. And uh-huh. I, I don't, I, it's always a compliment to me when people ask for recipes and that is, I have that happen with just a few things that I've, that are just favorites over the years. And I did make, um, a recipe book. It's a, online thing. But I did years ago, I did a family recipe book. I got everybody's favorite recipes and I made this book and I put pictures with it and I get that out all the time. And it really makes me think about the people's, you know, we, I put my mom's favorite recipe, my mother-in-law has all hers and it's, it really makes me think about them. And then we give one to, you know, each of the granddaughters now has one. And I, I think that that's special. Uh, passing down recipes is yes. really a neat thing and important. And especially make, uh, tying the story or the, you know, the photo about the person yes. to it. That's yes. a really great, mm-hmm. that's a really great way to make memories mm-hmm. and create a legacy. It, well, and I think, I think your question was, what is my... An achievement. An achievement. That you're proud of. Making that album. Oh, yeah. For sure. It, it's, it's very special. And everybody in the family mm-hmm. loves it and they talk about it. It was years ago, but... That's that really special. cool. Yeah. That's really cool. All right. So how about your top three homemaking tips? You already talked about the Bissell yes. cleaner. Yes. So do you have any other great tips? They don't have to have originated with you. Just something you use a lot. 
Oh, I just learned something Yeah, just last week. Okay. This is another product. That's okay. <laughs> We're not sponsored or anything, what, I know, but we I know. like to share what we like, you know, what well, makes one your of life my neighbors, easier. <laughs> one of my neighbors, um, I, anyway, it, I had some trouble with squirrels eating the cushions or chewing up the cushions oh, on my no. patio furniture. So I have a neighbor who's a seamstress and she was kind of helping me with figuring out what to do about these horrible cushions. And then she looked at my patio furniture. It's wrought iron. And she said, oh, you need some rejuvenate. I've never heard of it. And so she said, oh, yeah, it's on Amazon. She showed me a picture of it. I cannot believe that I didn't know about this. I I felt like I had brand new furniture. Really? I even took a before and after. I did half of one yeah. thing. And then it just brings, it It almost like polishes um wrought iron. Mm-hmm. And so then I did my, all these metal banisters out here. Yeah. They looked horrible. And I put rejuvenate on them and they looked brand new. Oh, wow. Cool. It was amazing. So that that's, an, that's I just learned that. That was cool. a really good. Is it just for wrought iron or is it for metal? Yes, but then they make it for, so now I just ordered some because they do doors and I, my front door gets so much sun mm-hmm. and it, Starts looking really weathered, and I, yeah. you know, I'll put pledge or something on it. But I have a feeling that the rejuvenate is going to do a lot, and it has UV so, protection in it. So too. it's for what you're going to do on your doors for wood. Yes, oh. they have they have different um, formulas. They okay. have one for wrought iron, and then I saw there's one for vinyl. So if mm-hmm. you have like vinyl chairs that you want to yeah. make look really good, you can do that. So okay, I want to hear about how the wood works because I have the same problem. My front door yeah. gets all the afternoon sun, and it's totally weathered and not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I well, I just got that. Okay, well, let me yesterday know I'll let you know how, how it works. works. But that that was good, and then oh, and another. Uh, if you know, I'll do another plug. I I have found a little. I'm going to go back to that because I found a little bit of joy in cooking again because my daughter told me about Tegan. Uh, I can't think of her last name. Oh, half baked half baked harvest. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't think of it. Either. I get a recipe every day. Mm-hmm. Tegan Gerard, I think. Mm-hmm. I get a recipe every day in my email, and I print most of them, and then I just put them. I make them if it's good, yes. and they almost always they're are. always good. Yeah, they're always then I good. put it in a binder. Yeah, so I'm kind of I I really got in a rut with recipes for a long time, and I was making mm-hmm. the same things over and over. I have really enjoyed doing her recipes, mm-hmm. and so I've. That has actually been kind of fun. Cool. I'm kind of enjoying cooking yeah. again with yeah. her stuff. But um, yeah, that's a great tip to just yeah. try something new. Yeah, you know, you never know what might spark your interest again. Well, and another tip um, that this was years ago. Have you heard of Fly Lady? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. I I was really struggling with keeping up with housework when the kids were mm-hmm. young, and I started doing some Fly Lady. Con- mm-hmm. I didn't do it like everything that she does. Yeah, but just that concept intense. of trying to clean one room a day, I kind of did that for a while, and then I kind of modified it. But there's always dust. There's oh, always yeah. organization. And I like kind of like to organize. But I'll just say, okay, today I'm going to just do my closet. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to kind of spruce it up, clean it. Mm-hmm. And I, if I focus on one thing a day, it's amazing how... Then you're not overwhelmed when you have yes. company or something. Yes, just a constant keeping it con- in a constant state of, 
I call it just general tidiness. Yes. Then yes. you never have such an overwhel- overwhelming mess that you feel like you're buried under it and you're never going to come right. out. You know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, you're never faced with this gigantic clean cleaning yes. day or cleaning weekend or right. whatever. Right. All right. Let's talk about the art of home a little bit. How do you see homemaking as an art? Well, I think that you're modeling for your kids mm-hmm. good homemaking skills. And I, I, I think that's really important. I, I think some of that's been lost in the next generation. So I've, I don't know. I, I guess as an art, I would just say um, balance, yeah. um, keeping up mm-hmm. with things that are important and with things that are truly important. You know, like to me, the pictures and the stories of my kids growing up is truly important. That's a lot more important than mm-hmm. a lot of other things. So I think the art is just juggling it all and still trying to be gracious and be a good hostess and mm-hmm. um, be a good mom. You know, I'm always want to be there for my children, you know. And so I, and I've learned that over the years that I've, I think I've gotten much better at saying no. Mm-hmm. You know, what does the phrase say? Um, only yes to the best. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to say, no. you can, you can, say it's no, okay to say no. Say no to the rest or something. Yeah. I don't know. yeah. yeah. <laughs> say yes to, to the best. And I, I try to yes. say, okay, is this really important? Mm-hmm. Because I, and I also, any time that I feel resentment about something I've been asked to do and then I don't really enjoy it mm-hmm. and I feel a little bit resentful. I try to remember not to go back to that. My friend Mildred, she's she was a precious lady. She was an older lady at our church years ago, and I just loved her. She loved my children. She worked in the church nursery, and she we just adopted her. And I still remember <laughs> one day I said, um, Mildred, you know, this was years ago, and she said, I said, do you do you want to go to lunch on Tuesday or whatever? And she said, um, okay. And I said, well, are you sure? And she said, Roberta. I don't do anything I don't want to do. <laughs> and so we I laugh. I those words echo in my head a yeah. lot. I think, wow, she doesn't do anything she doesn't want to do. Wow, what a concept. <laughs> and so we would it's become a joke with our family. We'll say, Oh, I don't do I don't do anything I don't want to do. But my my daughter as she was becoming an adult, she would say to me sometimes, I just remembered what Mildred said. I don't want to, I'm not, I don't do anything I don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, that backfired a little bit on you there. <laughs> yeah, but I, I admired that in her. It's like she, had, she was probably 85, 90 years old when she said that. And I thought, you know, there's some wisdom there. Yeah, just setting, setting some boundaries yeah. is important. And yeah. there's so much good that we can say yes to yes. as moms and, and keepers of the home and women. We just want to do all the things, right? But we have yeah. to pick out the, the better part, um, yeah. the, the part, the best part out of the good that God has called us to do in exactly. this season that we're in. Yes. Um, and be okay with saying no to the other yes. things. Yes, absolutely. And that's really hard, I think. It is. As women. Well, let's talk a little bit about gratitude. So why do you think that gratitude is important for the homemaker? And how have you seen gratitude improve your experience in the home? Well, I think if you're grateful for what you have, you take good care of it. 
And I, mm-hmm. I will say that that's something I pride myself on. I really try to take good care of the things that God's blessed us with. Yeah. And uh, it's just a part, it's a feeling. And, you know, I think with my children, I tried to teach them gratitude, writing thank you notes. Mm-hmm. You know, they still write thank you notes, at least my daughter does. I don't know that the boys always keep up with that. <laughs> but I, I tell them at least text or send an email then if you're not going to write a thank you note. But I think the art of great gratitude and mm-hmm. writing thank you notes, I do that all the time. I think it's very important. Yeah. And I, I, I'm always, um, I don't know, I just really try to be gracious in everything that I do. I don't know mm-hmm. that I always fulfill that goal, right. but I try. How did you come to the place of gratitude for the children that God gave you and the path that He called you to walk, particularly with your boys through autism? Yeah. Um, well, it was very humbling mm-hmm. in, in lots of ways. And and I I do think it drew me closer to the Lord in lots of seasons yeah. when I was kind of at wit's end. And I... I knew that some of the challenges were beyond me. And I, I do have trouble letting go and letting God take care of, you know, the issues, especially with the boys, because there were so many things that I couldn't fix and I, there was nothing I could do. But I do remember um, a, a really wise lady said to me once, um, she said, God doesn't have grandchildren mm. and they're His. You need to you need to let Him. Yeah handle some of these things. And that that was really good for me because I think I, I wanted to fix everything. And there's some things I just couldn't fix. And I I had to remind myself always to go back. And it always helped to be in Bible study. Mm-hmm. There was always, not that I was always doing a Bible study, but I, anytime I did a Bible study, there was always something that it helped so much. And you know, you know how that is. Mm-hmm. You, God just speaks to you in that season through that Bible study with that Mm-hmm. That day, with what you're dealing with that day, I had a lot of things that yeah. that were like that. But you know, there were. I mean, I lost my mom when the boys were little, and that mm-hmm. was really hard. I mean, there were just a lot of things that I just felt like, okay, I I need God's help with this. And mm-hmm. um, can you look that, back now at where you are now in this journey and have gratitude for that, or is it hard? Um, because I I would imagine it would be really tempting to want to be bitter. Yeah, about uh, the experience uh, at times. Yeah, yeah, at times, and and I think always praying for something to get better that never did, and that that was right. That was a little, you know, it's like, come on, God, <laughs> aren't yeah. you going to come through for me here and work a miracle? And mm-hmm. but you know, I I had to adjust to what my expectations were, you know, um, God made both of them the way he did They're, You know, it's hard for me, like, you know, Ryan is, he has such different social skills than I do. And the struggle with wanting him to handle things like I do, or like Jim does was really hard for me, but I just, I had to just learn to accept mm-hmm. and acceptance and give them grace, mm-hmm. you know, because, and I needed grace. I mean, there were times, there were a lot of things I didn't handle as well as I could have. And yeah. um, it was a hard journey. And, you know, and I'm still, 
Uh, it's easier now that they're adults, though. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier. I don't know if I answered that yeah. question. but The last question that I want to ask you is, if you had one word of advice or encouragement to a younger woman who's listening to this, just about homemaking in general, about parenting, being a mom, being a homemaker, what word of advice would you give her? Well, this is probably cliche, but I, I think just um, savor savor the moments mm-hmm. because it goes really fast. And I know everybody said that to me. And at the time, you don't really think it's going fast mm-hmm. because every some days are hard. And but it does. I I look back and I think, wow, my kids are twenty eight, thirty, and thirty three. I that's yeah, you know, that's. They're adults, and I feel like I turned around three times, and that happened. So I I would just say, savor the moments and um, just love them. And, you know, they're not going to remember how clean the floor was, but they're going to remember little special things that you did. And Mm -hmm. it's surprising to me now what they remember and what they don't remember. Yes. And little quirky things that we did. That were spontaneous and not perfect. Yeah. Some of those things are the things they remember where, you know, I was so worried about having a perfect birthday party with the matching themed cake and napkins and da da da. <laughs> and they don't remember all that. They didn't no. care. They liked it because somebody, you know, fell off the pony at Ponyland while they were. <laughs> <laughs> the birthday party, you know they they remember some something that yeah. happened that was not planned, right? So and some I guess that's my point is that some of the the things that you pl- don't plan for are the best memories. Absolutely, I totally agree. Well, thank you very much for sharing oh, your story of home. I've enjoyed. Thank you for having me. What an honor and a yeah. privilege. I I. I just uh, would love to have heard lots of good advice yeah. on a podcast yeah. when there were no podcasts. I uh, Wouldn't that have been great? We had books, but, people. We had to read books. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But thank you for having me. I've enjoyed our discussion. You're welcome. Well, that was a fun conversation. I love when Roberta said, some of the things that you don't plan for are some of the best memories. This is a timely statement. It is summer at the time of this recording, and for homemakers with kids off from school or kids home from college, summer can be a challenge and an opportunity. A challenge because the whole atmosphere and dynamic of the home changes with the summer schedule. And I can hear some of you saying, what schedule? You're laughing because there is no such thing as a schedule. You are just trying to survive and keep the kids from bodily harm. But the opportunity lies in the way that the longer, less hectic summer days can lend themselves to more spontaneity. The question is, will we notice those opportunities to make a few unplanned memories? Now, I'm not advocating for a free-for-all wild summer, but I heartily recommend leaving large chunks of margin in your summer schedule. And on that note, I intend to take my own advice. I've decided to do something a little different for the podcast in the month of August, which will allow me to take the month off while still providing you with encouraging and inspiring homemaking content. There are so many wonderful resources available on the topic of homemaking, but I remember the days when I had no time to read, and I know a lot of you are in that season right now. So rather than simply giving you a recommended reading list for the summer, I am going to read a classic resource to you. 
I will be reading Homemaking or the Ideal Family Life by the Reverend J.R. Miller, published in 1882. That was where the quote at the beginning of this episode came from. Many of you may already be familiar with this work, but to those who are not, I am really excited to introduce you to J.R. Miller's beautiful, poignant writing. Though it was written 140 years ago, primarily to the members of Miller's congregation, its message is just as powerful and pertinent for modern homemakers in every corner of the globe. Every Wednesday in August, the Art of Home podcast will present another installment of the book. We will begin on August 3rd with a short biography of Reverend Miller and the first chapter called The Wedded Life. Each Wednesday following, we will present two more short chapters of the book and will have worked through the whole book by the end of the month. This book is in the public domain, so you can find a version for free online at a website like Gutenberg or Google Books, or you can get a new printed copy for about $10 on Amazon. I will link those in the notes. It's not necessary to have a copy, but you may want one to help you work through the chapter reflection questions that we've created as a companion resource. The questions will be distributed through our weekly newsletters, so if you plan to read, listen along, make sure that you're subscribed to the newsletter so that you'll receive the questions every week. Just go to theartofhomepodcast.com slash subscribe or click the link in the notes. Thank you so much for listening. If you have found some value in this episode, would you consider giving the show some love in one of the following ways? Share with a homemaker you know who could use some encouragement in her practice of the art of home. Sometimes just hearing from someone farther along the path, like Roberta, can make a world of difference to the woman who is struggling to keep going in her homemaking. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review on your podcast listening app. That helps other people who are searching for homemaker content to find us and then decide whether or not this is a good fit for them. And finally, you can leave us a tip in our virtual tip jar, Buy Me a Coffee. Tips can be given in $5 increments, as few or as many as you would like. Every little bit helps offset the cost of this podcast, so thank you so much for giving just go to buymeacoffee.com slash the art of home. Well, that is all for this episode. We will be back next week to wrap up season seven with another homemaker portrait. Until next time, keep practicing your art of making a home. <laughs>